61 District 6, stage 1 shooting. Skimmer Wayne, near Lakeland, Charles, 478 Tango. 378-1654. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Ceballero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Well, this is it, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, it's time to go Inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Ceballero. We have five shopping days left till Christmas. And, uh, you know, it's the holiday season, and things are starting to get a little bit festive, and we got snow up here in St. Louis. I know uh, a place where there's not any snow, and probably not any snow ever, is uh, down there in Louisiana, where our good friend Kelly Grayson is. Kelly, come on in here and wish everybody a Merry Christmas. Ho, 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 ho. Merry Christmas. How are you today, man? I'm doing good. You know, we got an email I want to talk to you about, and last show, you know, you made uh, fun of me for... (laughs) buying the dogs uh, Christmas presents, but uh, Gary up there in Provo, Utah, very quickly pointed out, well, wait a minute, he's buying Christmas presents, but you got a Facebook page for your dog. No, 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 no. I would like to clarify, I don't have a Facebook page for my dog. My dog has a Facebook page. I, I can't help it if my dog has a forum and, and wants to talk and learn to type. That's just That's just the way it is. He's a smart dog. He's sitting here right now, and he's looking at me like, what, what's Sevalero saying about me, Dad? <laughs> That's right. And he does have a lot of good things to say. So if you're not a fan of Shinerbach on Facebook, and that Shine R. Bach, go, go ahead and check it out. Uh, he, he is pretty yeah. profound. So you need to get that dog a Christmas present. That's what I'm thinking. But, Kelly, I want to go ahead and give kudos to you. Recently, you've been awarded uh, something very special. And why don't you go ahead and share that with the listeners? Yeah, I uh, I was I was recently awarded uh, a Folio uh, Eddie Award, which is uh, I'm told is a major award. It's a uh, it's it's not a leg lamp, but it's a uh, it's a, uh, a pretty nice <laughs> award for uh, given for uh, excellence in e-publishing. I got it for uh, my um, my article back in May on uh, provider depression and suicide, and uh, I'm I'm. You know, really, I'm tremendously honored to uh, to receive an award. Uh, some of the better uh, magazines and, and uh, electronic magazines out there uh, were in vying for this award and, and uh, had some pretty stiff competition. And it, it feels really nice, really validating to uh, to get such an award. I've got a got a spot here reserved in the uh, in the curio cabinet alongside my Maggie Award from a couple of years ago and. Uh, It'll be nice. Uh, now, if they just awarded like a, a prize package with this sort of thing, um, it would be really sweet. You know, and I think one of the things, you know, you kind of joke about it, but, uh, you know, you are one of the foremost authors in our business and very, very profound. You keep us thinking. And, you know, sometimes you do that uh, not with the, uh, you know, people's feelings in mind. And, and really, I think that's what we need to hear. But you've been a, a big advocate for, you know, suicide in our career field. You've been a big advocate for, you know, the Code Green campaign. You sit on their board of directors. And, you know, by you using your experiences, you know, e- even, you know, we've talked about it before. You've been very forthcoming with your own challenges you've had. You've been able to take that experience and really really educate people in a way that really makes you sit back and go, hmm, how about that? 
Yeah, I you know I, I didn't write the I didn't write the column to you know to garner an award, and and it's nice that I did. But the the purpose of the entire thing was was to destigmatize PTSD and depression and EMS. You find so many of our of our colleagues who are who are suffering. Uh, from things they've seen on the job or things they've seen and, and done before they got into EMS and they're scared to reach out for help because they're they're, uh, they're frightened of the way we, we view mental illness and EMS uh, and you know that was the entire purpose of me writing the, the article was that you know if someone with, with, uh, with my forum uh, can, can admit to it then maybe it's not so hard for, for anyone else to admit to and and that's my my hope as we as we move forward is to to uh take some of the stigma away from this and say look you know if if kelly can talk about it so openly and uh and admit to it and and own it uh then then maybe it's not so hard for me to do and and if one provider if just one provider reaches out for help rather than does something harmful to himself then then it will all have been worth it and 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 no magazine award can can equal that kind of uh, uh, that kind of impact from it, and that's my hope. Well, you and I, with this forum, you know, we do reach, and those numbers are starting to creep up with all our fans, and we appreciate those folks that are out there that are supporting Inside EMS. And uh, you and I have vowed to make 2015 uh, kind of our spearhead to bring uh, a lot of awareness to PTSD, to bring a lot of awareness to first responder suicides, and hopefully, uh, you know, we can now start to say, and with this forum, that there's people out there uh, you can talk to some folks, uh, you know, let's go ahead and reduce the stigma, as you mentioned. I- I'm happy to be part of that with you and, and uh, go hand in hand. Don't get excited. Go hand in hand with uh, you along this mission. And uh, hopefully by the time we get to the end of 2015, we would have brought some really great recognition to this this really horrible challenge that we have in our career field. And we can see that some of those numbers uh, that we're seeing right now, and I believe uh, when I was in uh, um, Nashville Code Green campaign said so far this year, 58 responders have uh, taken their own lives. Hopefully, we see a decrease in that number by the time we get to the end of 2015. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that number is is higher now. Uh, we're well over 60, um, and uh, we we need to cut those numbers back. And those are the those are the numbers that we know about. Those are the numbers we can track, and that's part of the that that's also part of the problem is we can't. We can't track uh, the toll of, uh, of PTSD and depression on in, on public safety because so few people track it. There are no there are no meaningful statistics available. We can glean what we can from news reports, but uh, it's a much uh, very underreported problem right now. Partly from not recognizing uh, how big of a problem it is, and no one has bothered to track it yet. Uh, but people are catching on. And the fact that uh, that it's hidden, it's it, it's it's a shameful secret that uh, many of us won't admit to. So uh, a lot of these uh, a lot of these suicides are, are not reported or are attributed to other things. If they happen off duty, which most of them do, uh, there's virtually no way right now that we can actually uh, track those numbers. And then that's part of the part of the, the hurdle right there is is uh, finding out how many there are and, and getting the true numbers which are invariably much higher than, than so here's to here's to hoping we we can figure that out and uh, and help uh, help start paring those numbers down 
Sounds great, man. And, and one more thing before we get to the news. I know people are pr- pretty excited to hear our take on the news, and there are a couple great news stories to chat about. We are just about 12 days away from our live event, and that is the 29th of December at 5 p.m. We have a 90-minute show schedule, and uh, we're actually doing a practice run-through show today. But I'm getting really excited about it. we got some guests lined up. We're going to get to talk to our fans, Kelly. We're going to count down the top five stories of 2014. I think we're really setting a little bit of history here. Uh, and, and me on a, on, on a live feed, that's going to be a leaper. Uh, set up uh, hopefully I'll, I'll be able to, to censor myself and uh, and not embarrass myself too much but it's going to be great to interact with our fans uh, and uh, and talk to them in real time and, and see what their issues are and, and uh, it's it's um, I'm pumped man I'm, I'm ready to do it all right sounds great well while while you're pumped and ready to do it why don't you go ahead and start off our in the news segment and hit us with our first news story well, we can file this one under uh, in the, in that great big file called uh, DC Fire EMS Follies. Man, this is this is low hanging fruit here. It's it's so easy to to pick on DC Fire EMS, but God, they give us so much material. We have yet another issue. A man dies waiting for an ambulance, and the firefighters union blames dispatch. You know, uh, DC Fire EMS has a uh, new dispatch system. They got a new interim chief new leadership and same old problems uh and, and i don't know if if the culture will change enough that uh that these things no longer become a problem but the fact that they play out in the news and uh one side blames the other uh, is not a help to the organization my fox dc reported that last week uh, someone called to 911 to say a 31 year old man had uh, collapsed in a field and they dispatched a call at 6 p.m to an engine just supposedly a, a few blocks away and they couldn't find the man so a few minutes later police officer found him apparently the police officers dispatch were able to get their uh, people to the to the scene in a timely fashion cop called for another ambulance and uh, they dispatched another ambulance and engine that were miles away rather than blocks away and they blame it on glitches in their dispatch system it's not keeping track of the location of units and the availability of units so they're they're kind of backing up a little bit and going back to radio communications wireless technology and the computer tablets they say are uh, uh, the union is blaming it on the wireless technology and the computer tablets that they've uh, that they installed in their their ambulances um, <laughs> you know oh uh, I, I don't maybe they have legitimate problems uh, but the the way to uh, to fix those problems is not to uh, is not to uh, bash each other and, and, and blame it all on uh, blame it all on leadership and blame it all on dispatch God knows uh, me among uh, many would would love to blame dispatch for our failure but, but we really can't you know that's a that's an easy out it's a it's a cop out. Yeah, I have to agree with you. And I think that one of the things, you know, especially there's been so many challenges this year alone, the folks out there in D.C. fire that uh, it's not about pointing fingers, it's about fixing the problem. And, uh, you know, we've been in this career field a long time uh, between us, Kelly, and and this isn't a Washington, D.C. problem. Sometimes there are challenges with the dispatch process that sends trucks to similar addresses on the wrong sides of town. And, uh, you know, that's just something we've got to be able to, you know, address. You know, now I sit here and I say to you, one of the things that uh, gave me pause was that there was a police officer on scene. So why can't they help guide these people to the right call or to the right location if they're so far out of whack? 
you know, the second thing that I think we have to think about is, you know, the, the purpose of the dispatcher, as well as getting us the initial call, is to make sure that if we're heading the wrong way, to kind of put us in, in, into the right path as well. So I think that there's a lot of breakdowns, but one, to say this is a DC fire issue uh, isn't fair because it happens all over the place. Two, there needs to be better communication between the first responders that get on scene, as well as the dispatch center and the crews. You're absolutely right. It, it's not uh, solely a, a DC fire EMS issue. It's, it happens everywhere. And, and let's mark the date. It's uh, December the 18th, 2014. And I'm going to say nice things about my dispatchers and defend our dispatch system. Uh, <laughs> I know it's shocking, but you know we'll, we'll be in route to calls. And, and uh, the Borg's uh, dispatch system has been in place for quite some time. Uh, and, and we're constantly updating and doing patches and, and uh, uh, upgrading the system. Um, but we rarely get in route to a call and go the wrong direction or, or uh, that sort of thing without being corrected and, and, uh, and relocated or, or uh, rerouted by dispatch. Uh, and, and it's a constant thing where we may be in route to a call and, and before we can voice our concerns, my God, why are they sending us there? Don't they have a closer unit? boom, you're taken off the call and a closer unit is reassigned. Um, so we don't have the big picture. Uh, this, this sort of thing happens in EMS systems all across the country. But what doesn't happen in EMS systems all ac- across the country is this, uh, is, is this money quote here from the article. Union President Ed Smith released the following statement. This is a case of firefighters being set up to fail by the Office of Unified Command, pushing new technology into the field that was not properly tested. The new computers failed and continue to do so. Unfortunately, the firefighters performing at their usual high level wasn't enough to overcome the bad decision-making by the 911 call center. Let's see if I can distill this. Grow up and quit fighting in public. You know, that's part of the problem that, that... this system is the laughing stock of the United States is because you can't discipline bad firefighters and medics because of the constant infighting and, and these people will not work together to better this system. Right. Grow up. Yeah. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I got a and I got a great story for you as well. And, you know, you and I spend a lot of time on, uh, you know, blogs and podcasts and, you know, we're, we're big on the social media sites with Facebook and Twitter. Well, we've got a story that comes out of Philadelphia where a paramedic's in, uh, Instagram post takes a jab at police. And I guess there's a picture of a, uh, a Caucasian police officer. And there are uh, two African-American gentlemen who addressed uh, what would resemble, uh, you know, thugs or criminals. And uh, one's in front, one's in the back, and they have guns pointed at the officer's head. And there is a, uh, a Philly paramedic that decided to make a comment about this. And I'm not going to go ahead and repeat the comment because uh, that wouldn't be, uh, you know, very fair to do that. But uh, the thing that I want to bring up, Kelly, is we get caught up in this social media thing. And we have to remember that regardless of, you know, that we're off duty, we have to remember that we still represent our organizations and we can put defaming posts on our Facebook page that will bring disgrace or bring disrespect not only to our career field, but to our departments. And what you have to remember is a lot of our agencies 
have social media policies that will cause us to lose our jobs. And, you know, in this case in Philadelphia, nobody likes to think of anyone losing their job around the holiday. But this is something that could happen because of something that was, you know, said in the moment. And we have to remember, we shouldn't say anything we wouldn't want to hear on the news. We shouldn't write anything we wouldn't want to see in print. And we really have to kind of push this message along because there's a lot of people, and we read about it, and we talked about it how many times this year that people lost their jobs because of posts they're putting on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, yeah, this is, you know, this is something that uh, Dave Statter has um, coined a term for. He called it SMACS, Social Media Assisted Career Suicide Syndrome. Uh, and this is yet another another case of SMACS. And, and too many people defend this for the, the wrong reasons. They say, oh, First Amendment, you can, you know, he's not on duty. He can say what he wants to. Uh, he's infr- they're infringing our First Amendment rights. Uh, Bullcrap. They're not infringing your First Amendment rights. The First Amendment uh, states that the United States federal government cannot uh, infringe upon your right to, to free speech. It says nothing about uh, an employer-employee contract of employment. Uh, your employer has the right to set standards that you must adhere to. You know, And bottom line is, if you identify yourself as a member of an agency anywhere on your social media uh, profiles, and then you do something to make that agency look bad. They they have the right and should have the right to, to do something about it. You know, I say I have some pretty strong opinions about uh, lots of things in EMS, and not not all of those things I agree with uh, with my employer's positions. But the difference is is that I'm I, I own my statements in public. I try not to be a douche uh, <laughs> about the the my opinions. And uh, I take steps to make sure that I don't I don't identify myself as a member of my organization. It's it's easy to find out. You, people can find out where I work, but I don't visibly represent my employer on my social media profiles. I resent, represent myself, and that's part of the and and that's part of the issue. They have a pretty they have a pretty liberal uh, social media policy. It's not overly restrictive. Uh, they they basically say. Don't be a jerk when uh, representing yourself as an uh, as an employee of this agency, and and that's all that really needs to be said. And and I play by those rules. Yeah, and I think that one of the things to point out here, Kelly, is is as I mentioned earlier in the show, you're someone that is is very very controversial in his posts, and you've done such a great job of being able to separate those two and i hope you don't mind me telling a tale uh on you uh that you shared with me earlier in our in our relationship here on the show was there was actually people who who called your employer because of a, a an article you did and your employer was very uh supportive to say you know he is not representing us and he made that very clear and uh, we have no liability here and uh you know so i think you've you've learned very well how to manage uh you know separating you know uh individual and business and uh it seemed to have worked well for you yeah i slammed one particular state agency because i think they're uh they're inefficient and uh don't do a good job at uh at their core mission uh and a couple the sad thing is is hundreds of people uh supported that and two employees of that agency reporting from uh, uh commenting on my blog from agency computers when they should have been answering calls I had negative things to say and they they called my employer uh about it and um 
and uh, my employer's a, a big supporter and stakeholder in this agency, and uh, they weren't pleased with what I said, and they did say something to me. They said, you know, hey, you, you know, uh, be circumspect in your in your public comment. You played the game right. We can't discipline you, and we're not going to discipline you, but, you know, we ask that you be careful, and, and I can take that that type of feedback and, and that sort of uh, criticism from my employer and, and be a big boy about it and, and do just that. I've also been uh, had my employer contacted by very large uh, national organizations who didn't like things I had to say about them in their uh, in my EMS one column. Uh, and to my my employer's credit, they said. Uh, you know, when confronted with this, uh, they said, "Well, uh, first of all, he was writing as an EMS one columnist and not as a uh, as a board grown, and you know, he did nothing to violate our social media policy. And, and furthermore, we we agree with everything that he said in the column. So, no, we're not going to do anything to him." Um, right. Which which felt really good. the The last thing about this this Philly Philly incident is, uh, you know, that's really close to me is is I'm a man. I'm a white man from the deep south and and we we take a lot of flack here about uh unfairly i believe uh, about racism you know uh this this uh incident in philly you know demonstrates that uh racism and and, and race problems are still prevalent everywhere even in in the supposedly enlightened uh, northern states uh the difference is here is that we own it and uh we it's out in the open it's overt and it's shunned by 99.9 percent of our citizens down you know it's it, it's a it's a problem that we in the south have confronted openly uh it needs to be confronted everywhere but uh it just goes to show that um you can be in philly or new york or the midwest or or either of the coasts and uh you don't have to have a southern accent to be racist and well, with that, let's go ahead and transition. We'll talk about uh, our clinical issue, and as we're getting up there in time, we want to go ahead and just touch on something really quick. That, you know, you and I spent a lot of time earlier in the year with this Ebola thing and, and you know, preparation and, you know, the hype and everybody just calmed down. And one of the things that we pointed out very poignantly was, you know, uh, 57,000 people a year die from the flu, and that's every year. And now it looks like we're in a flu season that uh, has been mismanaged with our flu shots and, and the strain that they thought was going to be, you know, affecting everybody. It seems that they were off the mark. And uh, we went ahead and got flu shots that may not work for us. And I got to tell you that EMS providers are very, very susceptible now to deal with people every day that may have the flu. And, you know, for EMS agencies, this will mean that uh, our people will catch the flu. This will mean that they will be out of work. Uh, this means that we're going to have to do some creative uh, scheduling to keep those trucks on the road. But moreover, we have to make sure that our employees stay safe and we're able to keep them from getting sick. Because now when they go home, they're getting their families sick. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really uh, something that's concerning, Kelly. And, and we have to start to think about how do we approach this flu season and keep everybody as safe as we can. Yeah. You know, from, from a managerial standpoint, it's a, it's a major concern, uh, not just for individual providers, but when you're, when you're trying to, to staff crews, staff ambulances, uh, how do you keep your workforce safe, uh, well, and able to report to work? Uh, and, and that's an ongoing problem in flu season. Um, there's, you know, one of the things that the Ebola crisis, uh, crisis, <laughs> the Ebola uh, hype 
to uh, to our attention, and and before that, SARS was you know the need for for good uh, barrier devices and 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 infection control and and awareness uh, of the problem. You know, and, and it also ruined one of my best rejoinders. I, I I make jokes about my immune system. You know, I was a little under the weather the the, the other day, but uh, you know, I thought it might be the flu, but it turned out to be Ebola. I can't use that anymore because I, you know, I tell people that my immune system is so well developed that it, my T cells attack squirrels in the backyard. Uh, can't say that anymore with uh, now that Ebola has come to the United States uh, in a couple of isolated incidents. But what distresses me is that so many people, even in EMS, think that the flu, uh, the flu shot, gives you the flu. It 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 made my brain hurt with the number of people who who believe that this flu vaccine uh, uh, gives you the flu and therefore they won't take it, or that it's all some conspiracy from big pharma um, that uh, uh, to give people the flu so that they can I don't know what sell Tamiflu that gives you all sorts of uh, other signs and uh, other uh, symptoms and complications in, in return for maybe making you well one day later uh, or one day sooner. Um, I, <laughs> that's what I don't get is, is people, supposedly educated people in emergency health care uh, have all these, these superstitions about the flu shot and, and in, to some extent uh, vaccine denial. It's just I, I don't get it. Uh, and, and I'm, when I encounter those people uh, uh, who turn out to be my colleagues, it's like discovering a unicorn in the wild. It's like, really? You, yeah. You're working on an ambulance and you're that right. stupid? <laughs> and I think that one of the things as well is, you know, even if we take that a little bit further, you know, you kind of joke about your immune system being developed. But being an EMS as long as we have, our immune systems do take a little bit of boosting as we start to deal with, you know, some of the things that we, we do deal with. But how about the parents that don't get their kids, you know, uh, the flu shot because they don't want that stuff inside their kids. And now these kids that haven't had the opportunity to build up that immune system, these kids are getting sicker and sicker and sicker and they're dying. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where we say, you know what? You know, let's get our kids inoculated. Let's try to keep them safe. And let's worry about things on the back end. I've been taking a flu shot for, what, almost, you know, 30 years. And uh, I, nothing's happening to me yet. And uh, But, man, we got kids dying uh, because they're not taking the flu shot. We've got EMS providers who are getting laid up and getting the flu. And they're out of work for, you know, 7 to 10 days. And, uh, you know, I just don't understand it. Yeah, and, and that is, that's the really insidious thing about vaccine denial. It, it doesn't just affect uh, the idiots who subscribe to that theory. Uh, we're losing our herd immunity, um, and, and they don't gather that, con- they don't grasp that concept. Uh, you know, and we're starting to see, you know, diseases that we thought we had pretty much eradicated, and now they're, they're having outbreaks right here in, in a first world nation. Uh, and and measles and whooping cough and and that sort of thing and the mumps yeah. now in the NHL and the mumps yeah you know I I, <laughs> I really don't get it you know that's one of the, Jenny McCarthy should should be you know regarded as one of the the biggest serial killers in history right up there with Stalin and and Pol Pot with the the number of people her her ideas and her advocacy have harmed is just incalculable. Uh, and it looks like it's an ongoing thing. Um, 
there's a Facebook page even de- dedicated to it, Jenny McCarthy Body Count. Uh, That's crazy, <laughs> man. I can't believe that we're comparing her to Pol Pot. Well, uh, Pol Pot was probably a little more nefarious, and Jennings well-meaning, but you know, you can be ignorant and well-meaning and still be dangerous. Uh, and and her ideas and the stuff she espouses about vaccine denial uh, and the people that dis- uh, subscribe to her her uh, her theories uh, are dangerous. They are right. dangerous to public health, and they are dangerous to themselves and their children. Um, you know, and and here in the flu season, uh, we need to consider. Uh, we need to, you know, if, if your agency offers you a flu shot, by all means, take it. Yes, it's a bit of a crapshoot because uh, virology and, and epidemiology is not an exact science. Uh, and and flu is a, a pretty agile little virus. It's There are many types of it. It can mutate fairly readily. Um, and sometimes it's a gamble uh, calculating which strain of flu is going to be most prevalent in the in the coming season. And sometimes we guess wrong. That's not a reason not to take the shot. And I think that one of the things that we have to remember is this is probably the third time in the past five years that, that they've mismanaged the flu shot, and we've got to really stay on top of it. So some of the things that you could do out there as providers, and one of the things that we put into our system uh, just recently was anybody whose home we're going to with, with flu-like symptoms, they're immediately getting a mask. And, you know, this is not only to protect uh, the, the provider – but it's also to protect the people who we're, we're dealing with, because even though we may not be showing signs of symptoms, you know, we could have that virus as well that we've picked up. So not only are we protecting ourselves, but we're protecting our patients as well. But one of the things that we don't do well enough that we need to really get into the habit of doing is good hand hygiene. And we need to go ahead and, uh, you know, use foam, wash our hands when we have to, uh, every time we need to, uh, you know, foam in, foam out. But we need to do the the things that we don't usually do, uh, clean our stethoscopes and clean our pens after we touch them with our gloves and all those things that, you know, we forget about. I can't count the number of times. One of my biggest pet peeves is people that wear their gloves and use their pens, uh, hit on their computers to do their charting and then they're putting their pens in their mouth you know you just had your gloves on and you were just touching a patient and now you got your pen in your mouth but you know good hand hygiene put the mask on the patients that uh, you think have flu-like symptoms and and let's try to stay healthy out there i mean you know getting the flu it's going to take you out of work you know you're not going to get paid if you don't have eto time so we really have to be smart about this kelly and and attack it in a way that uh, really keeps everybody healthy Indeed, and and the most effective tools we have are at our disposal are things that we should have been doing outside of flu season and, and all along. Uh, infection control uh, techniques and procedures that we, we know, uh, but we, we only pay lip service to. Wash your hands after every single call. Uh, don't do contaminate the front of the ambulance with your dirty gloves when you if you get up front to drive take your take your gloves off or double glove um, clean your stethoscopes all those sorts of things wear your eye protection wear your face protection if, if there's a, a risk for for particle inhalation you know and and I'm I'm guilty of this as well you know I I carry you know I'm not of the generation where where gloves were a new thing um, I've been wearing gloves my entire career I, I pretty much put those on for for every patient contact uh, but it's still a, a uh, something I have to remind myself of to to uh, adhere to my employer's recommendation that we uh, or requirement that we wear eye protection on calls uh, and I'm supposed to keep uh, 
keep a, a pair of safety glasses and uh, to protect my eyes on, on on my person. And I do, but I, I sometimes forget to put them on on calls when I should. Uh, when I'm hovering over someone's face, intubating, or 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 right there, my ears right in front of their chest while I'm asking. Uh, in front of their mouth while I'm auscultating their chest. I, uh, I don't always uh, wear uh, uh, face protection, um, uh, although I should. Uh, it, it's a habit I'm guilty of myself. And, and, uh, but every, every uh, EMT and every paramedic needs to, uh, to adhere to those safety measures. And, and that's the way we'll stop the spread of flu and, or at least slow it down and, and stay healthy throughout this flu and pneumonia season. Well, Kelly, it sounds like we have a clinical issue. We do, and and uh, don't get sick, guys. Uh, take care of yourselves. Take care of your patients. You can't take care of your patient if you're sick yourself. Um, and uh, you know, get your flu shots and and protect yourselves on every call. Then that's it. Well, I guess we're about ready to uh, wrap this thing up. And don't forget the live show, which is going to be on the 29th of December at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time, and and we're really looking forward to it. And I know, Kelly, uh, we're going to do some work with the profanity, and uh, we've got some training things scheduled for you, and hopefully we can keep you on the straight and narrow. But uh, why don't you go ahead and give these guys the closing, and let's go ahead and end this show. Guys, as always, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS, and we welcome your concerns, comments, suggestions. Uh, if you have any you'd like to share with us, send them to us at the show at ems1.com, and we will catch you next week. <laughs>